Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NBA Finals as we are roaring towards the Game 5. We will be discussing the NFL offseason, what's happening there. We will touch on, and we have our best for last, which will be a discussion, a quick talk about the NHL Stanley Cup Finals between the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify and soon to be YouTube. And also, lastly, lastly and certainly not least, don't forget to follow and turn on your post notifications for the Justin Time Sports social media um, as where you get all your breaking news and your updates. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. The Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, soon to be YouTube. When I get a firm date on that, I will definitely let you guys know. Also, don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTime Sports on social media for all of your breaking news and updates. Turn on those post notifications so you know before your friends know. But in this week's uh in this week's show, we will talk about the NBA Finals, which we will start in this topic. Then we will jump to the NFL offseason. Then we will move on to the Stanley Cup Finals for our best for last. But, of course, the NBA Finals Game 5 is tonight as I'm recording this. So that means it will actually be yesterday when this comes out. Of course, you know, guys, I record on Monday. It comes out Tuesday morning. Um, and so that is the situation that has occurred. So you will get my predictions and a little bit of a recap um, for games 1 through 4. And give my predictions for game five. So as you guys know, going into this series, I have Boston in five. Or Boston in six, rather. Um, I kind of talked about the games. I pretty much said Boston. At this point, I said Boston would go back to Golden State up 3-1, lose game five in Golden State, win game six in Boston, and win in front of the home fans. That did not occur. Um, I was looking good through games one and two. I got the split I needed. Came home. They won game three. I said, okay. Game four at halftime, thinking, okay, you're eating Steph's punch right now, and you're up five. You know, and that pretty much was the story of game one, where it was kind of like, okay, you ate Steph's punch, game one and game three. You ate Steph's punch, you ate the Warriors' punch in general. Game one, they ate the Blitz in the, in the third quarter. Game three, they ate Steph's punch. You game one, really, at 19 in the first. And you're still ahead, or you're only down two. You know, you're in the game. It's not a game two where the game got blown open in the third quarter and it was over. I'm thinking, man, you pretty much took Steph's punch on the chin in the first half and you're only and you're up five. Forget only being down, you're up five. Um, and so I'm feeling really good about it. Fourth quarter rolling around, I'm still feeling good about it. And then Steph sits. In game three, now it was a gutsy decision by Steve Kerr. I wonder how much input Steph Curry had. How much the training staff said, hey, he's looking a little windy, get him out. What 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 have you? Whether Steve Curry just went solo, dolo, um, nut up or shut up time. And he um, took Steph Curry out. I believe in those three minutes in the fourth quarter, Steph Curry was out. The Warriors were plus one. And that, and that changed the game. And 
Um, I was talking to a few friends of mine at the time and I was saying, man, being this, you needed to go 7-0 fast and force Curry back on the floor. Go from up, I think it was up two or three to up 10 in about a minute and a half and force Steph Curry back on the floor um, because that's how they took over game three. Curry sat for two minutes. Boston goes on an 8-0-9 run, makes a two-point game, an 11-point game, a 12-point game, and the Warriors can never recover. Similar to game one, he sat him end of the third, if I remember me correctly. Boston and Boston goes on a run, entering the fourth quarter. The Warriors never recover. So he does it again. He takes, he dies to opposite Steph. I'm thinking this is a fatal complete by Steve Kerr. Um, and the Warriors end up winning those three minutes by one or two points. Well, that's the game. That's the kind of thing where you know Steph's hot. So you know he's going to come back in balling and shooting out of his mind. And in the, in the time he's not on the floor, you not only do not take advantage of it, you allow them to win those minutes. That is a deadly, deadly, and ultimately fatal mistake in that game. Uh, Jason Tatum is still playing terribly. Um, one of my friends joked that he used his Kobe favor a little early, um, that he used it for game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals instead of saving it for the NBA Finals game. Um, maybe he needs to text Kobe again. I don't know. But he is not playing well at all. Um, Jalen Brown is doing a lot of the grunt work. Al Horford um, has not. He had that great game one. Has not played anywhere near that level since. Derek White, where is he gone? Robert Williams is doing well. Um, but we're gonna talk about a couple of things I think both teams can improve on entering a game five. So I'm predicting based on my prediction. I have Boston in six. Well, obviously being a two-two series. Boston has to win the next two. I don't know if a Boston in D2 win in six. Would it shock me if it's Golden State in six at this point? No. Would it shock me if it's Golden State in seven? No. Would it shock me if it's Boston in six or seven? No. At this point, the only horse I have in the race is my prediction. So if Golden State were to win game five tonight, I don't know. At that point, I mean, at that point, I have no idea. I would lean Golden State in seven because I just don't think Boston would lose that game on their home floor and lose three in a row. Boston hasn't lost one game after a loss. I mean, they're 6-0 after the loss of our playoffs. So, picking them to lose two games in a row after losses, it seems they're unlikely. Um, so, I have Boston winning tonight. But conversely, Golden State has not lost a game off, of, off of, after a loss either. Um, so, that's what makes this playoffs very, very interesting. Or these finals, rather. Both teams are really, really good after losses. And I think it allows both coaches to do what they do best, which is coach and make adjustments. Um, because it, it's... It's hard if you're trying to make adjustments and you're trying to coach and you're trying to instruct on the little things. Like, yeah, man, we had 18 turnovers, but we won by 25. You know, who cares about the 18 turnovers? We won by 25. We should have won by 40. It's, it's hard to have a we should have won by 40 conversation when you won by 25. When you lose by one, you can say, man, we had 17 turnovers. That's 17 times we didn't even get a shot at the basket. If you look at our 50% shooting, we would have made eight of those shots. That's 16 to 20 more points based on twos and threes. We win this game by a mile. You know, and, and that's where Ime Adoka and Steve Kerr have done great jobs at. Is that for Ime Adoka, it's locking in a young, talented team. It's a bunch of young, thoroughbred horses that want to run. They want to get out and play. They want to do what they want to do. Tatum Brown, Smart, uh, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, Derek White. Those guys want to get out and run. And then just go. They're just like they're thoroughbred horses on a prairie. They just want to run. They just want to go out and be free. If you look at the Golden State Warriors, they're the vets. They're the wily vets. Well, 
vets make their own adjustments. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Coach makes adjustments. I, I perfectly agree with that. Coach makes coach makes adjustments. I'm perfectly okay with that. Of course, all coaches make adjustments, but it's different when veterans know what the adjustment should be. Like, yeah, ultimately, Steve Kerr's going to walk in. Guys, we're going to adjust this, this, and this. But if he adjusts three things, there's a good chance Draymond or Steph or Clay knew all three. It's a very, very good chance they knew two of the three. Um, we're coming because it's just it's a veteran experience. So you're already prepping for that adjustment. You're already practicing that in your head. Now when you get on the practice court, you're taking what you did in your head, what you're doing on your whiteboard, what you did in your film room, and you're applying it to the court. And so it's just the difference between the two coaches, between the two rosters, and situated. So like I said, I'm gonna stick with Boston in six, mainly because that is my prediction. Um, I said it before the series started. I'm going to maintain, as the kids say, maintain that energy. So just a few things I have noticed during this finals. Um, Steph Curry is going to win the finals MVP if the Warriors win it. There is no if, ands, buts, possibles, maybes, however, potentialies, or anything else you want to use to quantify the statement I am saying. If the Golden State Warriors... Those guys out in San Francisco that play in the Chase Center. If they win the NBA Finals, Wardell Stephen Curry is going to win the Finals MVP award. He has done more than enough to win it for the Warriors. He he cannot have a good game the rest of the series and ain't win it. He needs to be the Finals MVP. Klay Thompson is not what he used to be. Andrew Wiggins is playing well, but he's effectively playing small ball center. Draymond Green is an absolute liability on both sides of the ball at this point. Kevon Looney's playing well, but that's most due to offense rebounding. Um, Jordan Poole has averages has fallen significantly from the regular season. He's leading into game four. I haven't checked him since game four, but leading into game four. And if you just look at a lot of the talent around Steph, it's not producing. Now, there is talent around Steph. There is a Clay. There is a Draymond. There is a Poole. There is a Wiggins. There is a Kevon Looney. You know, those guys... Uh, Gary Payton the second. Those guys are around stuff, but they're not producing, especially points, at the level that they should be in order to properly assist a guy like Steph Curry. Because right now, the work that Steph Curry is doing from a scoring, even a workload standpoint, I mean, they do have 43 points and 10 rebounds. That's not a center. It's not LeBron, a 6'9 guy. That's not even a Kobe or a Jordan at 6'6 or a T-Mac at 6'8. That's Steph Curry at 6'2 and a half, 6'3. That's a dude my size in the NBA who doesn't have, you know, 48-inch verticals collecting 10 rebounds. Now, we know the kind of shooter he is. We know the kind of scorer he is with that ability to handle, especially when he started dancing around guys and shooting 40-footers. We, we understand that. It's when a guy like that can go get you 10 rebounds, coupled with Andrew Wiggins getting you 16 rebounds. You know, that's 26 rebounds between two guys and neither one are 6'6". I think Andrew Wiggins is 6'7". Neither one is 6'8". You got 1'6'3 and 1'6'7 guy. Got you 27 rebounds. Um, if you're the Boston Celtics, unacceptable. Period. Unacceptable. There's no way on that beautiful green court that you should be out-rebounded at all to a team like Golden State. Golden State has one big. Legitimate big. They have Kevon Looney. Draymond Green is 6'6", 6'7". Andrew Wiggins is six foot six, six foot seven. That's pretty much the biggest guys other than you know Steph Clay, you know Jordan Poole, Gary Payton that they play. 
So you really got one guy over six foot seven. That is Kevon Looney. But look at the Boston side. Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, or Daniel Tice. Are the only guys over six or guys over six seven? Um Belisa. Uh, Belicia, whatever his name is, he came in the game. He's over 6'7", but he's not really a rebounder. You know, he's not someone you put on the floor for boards. He's a really guy you put on the floor for def for you put on the floor for defense rebounding due to his height and shooting. And he did neither one of those things he was in the game. But he played great perimeter defense, and he ripped the ball from Jason Tatum cleanly one time. He got a um, forced turnover on Jalen Brown. Belisha came to play. Nobody else really came to play, but he definitely did. And so, um, in terms of the Warriors' bigs, obviously James Wiseman's hurt, and they don't have anybody else on the roster that is tall. If you're the Boston Celtics, you have to win every rebounding game by 15, easily. You have to physically dominate on the inside. That's Again, that's Robert Williams, that's Grant Williams, that's Tatum, that's Brown. Um, that's the guys who off my head very quickly. In terms of guys that are going to need to rebound the ball a lot better, um, because you can't allow a six foot seven guy and Andrew Wiggins to get sixteen rebounds. You can't allow Steph Curry to get ten rebounds. You can't allow the Warriors to out rebound you by double digits uh, with a strategic and major size disadvantage. So, if you are the Golden State Warriors, you are salivating your chops coming back home. You get a team that's reeling. You get a team that's not in the best mental state, which the Boston Celtics are not in. You get a team that's operating a little bit less than 100%, again, like the Boston Celtics are currently. And so, like I said, if you're the Warriors, you're licking your chops. You're preparing to deliver a death blow. If you're the Boston Celtics, you're prepared to knock that high horse down. Um, because Golden State already lost game one at home. If they turn around and lose game five at home, they may not be able to recover. Um, and so that'd be a situation where, you know, this is a huge game for both sides. For Boston, you win this game, you set up the, the biggest game in the Boston arena since 2010. For the Warriors, you win this game and you take down all quantifiable opponents. You loom large over the NBA one more time. You book in the Kevin Durant championships with non-Kevin Durant titles. You answer a lot of questions about Steph Curry. You answer a lot of questions about Steve Kerr. You answer a lot of questions about Draymond Green and Klay Thompson. Um, but one thing that will not be questioned about that group of guys is that they would have four championship rings together. That's a feat very, very few trios ever accomplished. Um, four championships. I mean, that takes out Rodman. You know, that takes out Rodman and um, Michael and Scotty because they only got three. That takes out Rodman again in, um, in Detroit as they only have two. Uh, Larry Bird and his group have three. Uh, I'm not sure the <clears throat> excuse me. I'm not sure the number three for Magic's Lakers was able to maintain or number four rather was able to be maintained. I do not think so. Bill Russell may have had consistent teammates beside them, but that was more or beside him rather. That was more just the contract structure in the NBA and not necessarily. Um, how life is done in the modern era. So Bill Russell would not be a good, or Bill Russell's team would not be very applicable to the situation that is going down in the current NBA. Um, but one of the big things that has to happen in this series to Boston to win is that Jason Tatum has to wake up. 
He has to cut down these high turnover games. He has to increase his scoring ability. And he has to do so at a rapid rate. Otherwise, the Boston Celtics are dead in the water and cannot win this series behind just Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. But some trade potential trade people that could be on the move. You could see Damian Lillard moving out of Portland. Now, that is that is to me one of the more far-fetched ideas because repeatedly it has been discussed Damian Lillard will not leave Portland and instead he will look to build a championship contender in Portland, although he did not close the door to an exit on Colin Cowherd's podcast a couple, a few months ago, um, stating that, you know, he does want a chance at a ring. So he's not necessarily closing the door and joining, but at the moment, the plan is to try to use, utilize the cap space, utilize draft capital if there is any, and um, build a consistent winner while still in Portland. Now, many people disagree with that decision, myself included, but he wants to try and give it his full go in Portland, which I can respect. Rudy Gobert or, or Donovan Mitchell is going to be going out of Utah in the not-so-distant future. Uh, my bet is that it's going to be Rudy Gobert. Um, Donovan Mitchell will not be traded before the trade deadline in the NBA. I spoke up this to friends this morning, uh, Miami Heat faithful, so they kind of they were sending pictures of Jimmy Butler, not Jimmy Butler, but Jimmy Butler, hanging out with Donovan Mitchell and doing coffee, doing breakfast, whatever, and Bam Adebayo was with him, um, doing court work, and I told them, I'm like, Utah can't trade Donovan Mitchell prior to the, to the All-Star game. Why not? Because he's hosting the All-Star game. Solid City will host the All-Star game. So... To me, uh, to me and others, and I've been told this multiple times, Mitch isn't going anywhere before the trade deadline because you can't. You, what's the who? Who's the gatekeeper? Like Miami hosted it during the LeBron era. LeBron would be in the master ceremonies. Um, remember Anthony Davis had hosted in New Orleans. What happened in Cleveland this year? They had injury replacements. Who was the first person they named? The Cleveland guy because you want a guy participating in the All Star game. That's in the city of the All-Star Game because that way he's kind of a master of ceremonies. He's showing people around, showing people the gyms in the city. Um, like I said, making sure they see the sites if there are any sites in your particular location. Making sure they see those, and and you can't have no offense. You can't have Rudy Gobert doing it. You just can't. So I say Donovan Mitchell is gonna be a Utah Jazz for the season. And what happens the next offseason? Who knows? Um, but also, Donovan Mitchell is fully aware that you, you have to take advantage of the window when it's there. So ultimately, if he decides to say, get me out of here, Utah has to capitulate, has to comply and ship him out. Uh, if they don't, if he doesn't do that, it's bad for business. Um, if Utah decides to move him prior to the trade deadline. And that's just being honest, it's bad for business. I said, I've been told this multiple times. I'm not coming to you guys if I wasn't getting it told me multiple times. It's bad. It's really bad for business if there's not a host star um, to be kind of, like I said, for lack of a better term, master of ceremonies during All-Star Weekend to showcase his city, showcase his area. Uh, think, about every, think about every year you've watched the NBA broadcast and there's an All-Star game and nobody from that city is in the game. It's brought up multiple times early in the game, before the game, all week. And then remember, there's no All-Stars from Orlando. You know, Orlando hosting. There was no All-Stars from Orlando. And it was kind of like, okay, it, it, it's a thing when there's no All-Stars from the city there. Um, the COVID year where it would have been in Indiana, ended up being in Atlanta, uh, there was no All-Stars from Indiana. 
So, I mean, it was a weird weekend, but it was going to be that kind of situation where we're in Indiana and there's no stars here. Uh, there's no all-star on the team. So that kind of ties. Now, Rudy Gobert can get moved for the right package. He doesn't really have a lot of star cash here domestically. I'm sure he has it internationally. He doesn't really have it domestically. So he's able to be moved. Um, and then Russell Westbrook has all but opted into his $47 million option. So that pretty much puts him on the books for the Lakers next season. The Rockets reportedly have that standing offer of swapping Russ and, swapping Russ and Wall. But they want that 2027 first round pick which the Lakers has been hesitant to do so, just to dump Russ. They do not want to include that first-round pick in the deal. So we are definitely going to keep our eye on that developing situation. But up next, we're going to jump to the NFL and talk about what's going down in the offseason. Welcome back into the show, the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Again, soon to be YouTube. Again, we have more details on that. We will definitely, I will definitely let you guys know about that. Uh, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify, like I said earlier. And don't forget to do follow the social media handle at JTime Sports for your breaking news and updates. But now we're going to shift to the NFL and talk about what's going down there. And of course, the big topic today, a topic I legitimately never thought I would have to cover. Like if you put something out there and you said, yo, Justin, if there's a list of topics out there that you never thought you would have to discuss, cover, give an opinion on, break down, even have a normal thought about what's one like there's a list of, like let's say there was a list of 20 what what's what's just one of the list of 20 that you thought man i'm never gonna have to talk about this ever in the history of my life it would be that current miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa does anything better with a football besides throw it left-handed than patching Mahomes. And that left-handed throw thing might be debatable. Why am I discussing this? Because new Miami Dolphins wide receiver Tyree Hill, former Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Tyree Hill, same person, decided to say, yes, I would take Patrick Mahomes on the arm strength thing, pure arm strength. But as far as accuracy goes, I am going to, I'm going with Tua over Mahomes all day. I legitimately don't know if Tyreek Hill knows we've seen both of them play. Like it's one of those things where, oh man, Trey Lance is really good at practice. You should see it. Because we've only seen a few plays here and there in the game. Okay. All right. Cool. Remember a few years ago, there Patrick Mahomes' rookie, and he wasn't starting yet, 
Travis Kelsey and company were going on shows going, y'all don't even know. Mahomes, back when people say call him Mahomes or other stuff, Mahomes, number 15, he's different. Like when you see it, it's just different. The stuff we see him doing practice is crazy. Okay, I'm good. I'm with you. We saw it in that week eight, at that time, week 17 game. Yo, no, he's making, he's doing some stuff that's a little different than Alex Smith. You get what I'm saying? Oh, man, you got, I can't wait for you guys to see Malik Willis because the stuff he does, you know what I'm saying? Like, stuff we haven't seen before. You got me. I, I can't refute it. You see practice, I don't see practice. You know what I'm saying? You see game tape, I don't see game tape. You know, whatever. You see practice, I don't get practice tape. You're in meetings, I'm not in meetings. So if I haven't seen this thing before, you got me. I won't even refute it. I'll say, man, I can't wait to see it. We've seen three or four years of Patrick Mahomes. We've seen Tua for two years. Going to the third. Yeah, for two years. On what planet, on what game, what scenario, what situation, what hypotenuse, hypothesis, or hydrocodone at this point, has Tyreek Hill saying that Tua Tagovailoa is better at anything related to throwing a football than Patrick Mahomes? The numbers don't say it. Because the thing about the accuracy is we can track it. Patrick Mahomes' worst year in adjusted accuracy and adjust the accuracy completion percentage and on target throws is better than the best year two has had out of his first two. So it's not it's not it's not accuracy. Obviously it's not arm strength. I would say it's not decision making. Patrick decision making is kind of skewed because he can fire passes in that no one else can, pretty much. But I would say it's not raw decision making. What is it exactly? <laughs> Does Tua Tagovailoa do that Patrick Mahomes better? Or what does he do better than Patrick Mahomes? I don't, I don't see it because there's no metric to prove it. Like I said, it's not like we haven't seen it before. It's not like it's Patrick Mahomes' rookie; he was a ghost. People wonder how good Jordan Love was, and I still do. One game against the Chiefs on the road, thrown into the fire. I, I, you know, now I'm not gonna condemn Patrick Mahomes for that. We heard about Russell Wilson in training camp before he took my Flynn's job. We heard about Patrick Mahomes before he took Alex Smith's job. We heard about Trey Lance; he's taking Jimmy G's job. You know, we we talked we talked about Dak Prescott. Remember, they said he was really good in that training camp. Then he came on that preseason game. Job was his. It was over. Um, you heard the rumors about Cam Newton before his rookie uh, games. 400, 400 out the gate. Uh, for, still the only player here should ever do that. Um, and so you do hear about things when you don't see it. You kind of go off the word. Tyreek Hill, we've seen Tua. Two years of them, in fact. We've seen Patrick Mahomes. Three or four years of him, in fact. Couple Super Bowl runs. Couple age title games. You know, we've got MVP. We've seen it. So how is, I don't know, two number one. How is one better at anything related to throwing a football than 15? Because as far as how, they're about 15 times apart. 
And yeah, we've seen it. We don't have to wander or ponder or grasp at straws or sift through media reports. I'm a Patriots fan. Taekwon Thornton is fast as hell. I see college tape. I don't see NFL tape of that. I have to trust, I have to trust the reports. It's different. When I can see his speed go, yo, he's fast as hell compared to NFL guys. I'm not understanding. I don't get what Tyree Hill's doing. It. It's like you get in a relationship and you say your new girl is prettier than your ex. And everybody's seen both. And you're like, no, yeah, no, she isn't. But you gotta kinda say it anyway. Let's get give me those vibes. It gives me like, yeah, I know my ex I know my ex looks better than my current, but I can't they ask me a question, I gotta ride with my current. You know what I'm saying? Now Tyreek Hill is not just going out and saying these blasphemous statements, he's being asked questions. You know. He came from the best arm in the league. So how does two arm look in comparison? How does two's accuracy look in comparison? Etc. You and Mahomes made all that magic. Mahomes made you a lot of money. How does two stack up? And so that's kind of the situation where um, Tyree Hill is at. He's, he's in a position where he kind of got a lie for his new boo. Even though she doesn't look as good as the old one. He kind of got a lie and say she does. Um, so that's kind of where Tyree Hill is at. It's, a, it's an untenable situation. He tells the truth. He's quote-unquote pooping on his own quarterback. If he lies, we know he's lying. So it, it, it's in a no-win situation for Tyreek Hill. He's doing the best he possibly can. Um, pretty, pretty rough uh, for Tyreek Hill to be in, but he definitely lied. Speaking of those Dolphins, reports are now swirling that the Dolphins are prepared to offer Sean Payton a five-year, $100 million contract to coach the Dolphins. Um, in that coup. Remember, remember that alleged coup that they were working on? They were going to try to interview Sean Payton and then turn around and bring him in and then turn around and bring Tom Brady in, uh, either a starting quarterback or a quarterback part, part owner kind of thing, get him in the organization. Now there was a report that they had a third prong to the plan. They were going to bring another high-profile high person as well um, and have the kind of three-prong attack to rebranding the Miami Dolphins. $100 million coach Sean Payton, Tom Brady as the quarterback, and then again, this new third prong, whoever they may be. Remember, though, when this report came out um, a while ago that, oh, during Tom Brady's free agency period after New England, that New Orleans was a serious, some would even say the leading candidate to get him. And then Breeze came back because Tom Brady wanted to work with Tom Payton. They had a relationship already. Um, they kind of saw the world the same. Um, they had a connection, a bond. Like I said, off the field connection and a bond. Drew Brees was mulling whether he should return or not. Brady was coming back, just where? Um, and so before Tampa was even on the radar, it was going to be New Orleans. Um, and then Brees has to come back. Obviously, Sean Payton is not in a position to push out the guy who basically saved football in New Orleans from the franchise. And so he rides Drew Brees for a year. Tom Brady skips, goes to Tampa, the rest is history. And so Miami was looking to kind of rekindle that old flame, put 
a situation back together that honestly should have been if it wasn't for Drew Brees' let's be honest selfishness and wanting to come back and basically try to block Tom Brady from stacking as many records as um, he could stack and so that is a mistake Miami again wanted to fix um, but they ultimately could not do it the Saints blocked the interview Tom Brady goes back to Tampa and the third prong, whoever that may be, also does not move as far as we know. Um, so the Dolphins had a mass plan. It did not come together, although it would have shaken the table had it come together. Um, Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns continue to be on that riff. As far as I know, there's been no real communication, no progress to giving him a trade. Obviously, Deshaun Watson is dealing with the backlash of the New York Times article, uh, the scathing report citing the 66 women um, he's scheduled massage with over 17 months or 12 months or some short time period of that nature. Um, at one point, he was assisted by the Houston Texans because they gave him a location to have his massages done. A Texan staffer gave Deshaun Watson non-disclosure agreements in order to deal with his massage therapist. Um, so it was kind of like aided efforts. Um, incredibly, incredibly damaging and damning situations for the Houston Texans. Um, having those allegations pinned against them um, by the New York Times. I mean, guns aimed, bam, straight at them um, and calling them complicit, pretty much. And I think, and I believe the Texans organization has been added as a defendant in the Deshaun Watson case. So that just makes it worse for the Texans in terms of PR and terms of what they have to deal with uh, in the organization. This is a team trying to rebrand. This is a team trying to... Um, reorganize and realign themselves with uh, what they would consider a positive image and now they have this uh, case lying over their heads um, because of people in the organization making poor decisions if they were enabled to Sean Watson's uh, bad choices then they should be equally as punished uh, if they did not know ignorance of defense sometimes it is sometimes it isn't if they did know they to me they're equally as liable um, and so that is what the situation is in Houston as of right now. Uh, Kyler Murray reported to mandatory minicamp. Not surprising. He was expected to. He showed up to voluntary OTAs after a progression of his contract talks happened. As far as I know, they're not close to a deal, but talks are ongoing and talks are progressing. So that is positive. Lamar Jackson reported into the Baltimore Ravens facility today for mandatory minicamp as well, as John Har Harbaugh expected he would be. Um, so he also is playing towards the end of that contract. Um, people in his class are starting to get paid. People around his age are starting to get paid. And so he is looking like, yo, where's my money? Um, and so that is the situation that Lamar Jackson's in right now. Um, Scary Terry, Terry McLaurin for the Washington Commanders. He um, did not report to mandatory minicamp today. He is dealing with a, con a contractual issue as well with the organization. He's produced everywhere for every quarterback he's been. Um, he's had eight starting quarterbacks. I think he averages over 1,000 all-purpose yards, 1,030 uh, total on average yards a season. And he's had eight different starting quarterbacks in his time with Washington. So before he adds a ninth, in Carson Wentz, um, he wants to get his money to show what he has done in the league up until this point. No reason for Washington not to pay him. Um, 
make it easy on Carson Wentz to just get it done. Um, so definitely need to get that done if you are the Washington Commanders who are dealing with their own BS um, at the moment. Uh, but it means Washington's kind of what they do. Uh, they're dealing and they're embroiled in another controversy. And so, you know, you're dealing with uh, with the Jack Del Rio situation when he called the January 6th incident uh, insurrection terrorist attack, domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol on January 6th. He called it a dust up uh, while comparing it to the while using incendiary language in regards to the uh, nationwide, really international protests following the George Floyd murder. Um, he compared it to saying why, you know, saying things like why, basically, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say the quotes, you want to read the quotes, look them up. Um, but very incendiary remarks, very insensitive remarks um, about George Floyd protests while calling the January 6th uh, insurrection domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol a dust up. So that is something that Jack Daryl will have to answer for. Uh, he was fined $100,000 by the team, and he will he he was scheduled to address the team today, Monday. So yesterday, by the time you guys hear this, um, address the team specifically his defense, as he's a defensive coordinator. Um, do I think this the president of ACP calls for him to be fired or resign? I don't think that fixes anything. Um, Shannon Sharp spoke about it. Um, he said pretty much this is in his heart. Here's what he believes. Um, there's no amount of fine money, whatever's going to change it. Now, it depends on do you want that guy around in your building? You know about him. And, I, and I'm kind of a, and I've, my views on this have changed. I've gotten older. Something like that, maybe two, three years ago, I'm saying get him out, fire him, never work the football again. Now I'm saying, okay, that's him though. And then and that's the one you know. To me, I'd rather know how you feel about the situation and not know and assume. And so now that I know about you, I'm good. And you know, Ron Rivera, he's a very tolerant guy. He's gonna he find him, donated to the United Cap United States Capitol uh, Memorial Fund for the policemen. Um donated hundred grand. They got sensitivity training. I'm sure the team will address him how they felt about the comments. But I'm in a situation I'm in a situation where it is what it is. Like you know Jack Dario. So either you're gonna fire him now, bring in a new DC, etc. Or you're going to basically use the teaching moment for all people in the building. Um, and you can do that with him in or out the building, but you can utilize him as kind of a guy who has to bear his cross in the building um, and really try to earn the trust of those guys back who may have lost it, etc. So this is a very good teaching moment uh, for the Washington Commanders and DC Jack Del Rio. But up next, we're going to shift to a quick talk about the Stanley Cup Finals and our best for last. Welcome in the best for last. 
60 seconds on the clock as we're going to talk about the Stanley Cup Finals between the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, the Tampa Bay Lightning are looking for their second title in three years as they knocked off my prediction of having the New York Rangers face the Avalanche. Um, their series starts on Wednesday, uh, Avalanche and Lightning. Um, the Lightning have won, I believe, 11 straight playoff series. They're looking for, like I said, another title. These guys are absolutely on a roll. This role started when Tom Brady arrived in Tampa, uh, 2020. These guys have absolutely been rolling. Um, and he said it from 2-0 down to winning in six. So they won four straight. I had the New York Rangers winning in five, I believe. Um, and Avalanche sweeping. The Avalanche did sweep. The Rangers, of course, did not win. And so that sets up this situation between the Lightning and the Avalanche. Quick prediction. I'm going to go over the time. So screw it. Uh, quick prediction. I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Lightning in seven. Something about this team just feels right. They almost feel like a team of destiny. Um, and can almost feel like a team that's just destined, like a team of destiny, to just be great and then just win another title and put another Stanley Cup in Tampa. Um, in which case, hockey's America's coldest sport by trade is hockey. And the um, Stanley Cup will reside in Tampa Bay, Florida once again. Um, so that would be very interesting there. Colorado, obviously, the Avalanche, owned by Stan Kroenke, who also owns the L.A. Rams, who've had a hell of a week. Um, those guys have paid Aaron Donald Cooper Cup um, in the past week. Um, and so good job for them. Good job for Stan Kroenke shelling out money there. But he's looking at adding a Stanley Cup to his repertoire with the Avalanche. But again, I have the Tampa Bay Lightning winning in seven. But that is all we have for today. Thank you for joining me on this lovely Tuesday morning. Again, uh, I record this Monday night. So with my game five predictions, I could be totally wrong. Remember, I have the Boston Celtics winning that game five, subsequently winning game six. And by the time I'm back on, um, an NBA champion will be crowned um, in, in what I believe will be the Boston Celtics. Um, I may do a special episode. We'll definitely talk about that. Uh, maybe be a next day special on the NBA and how it's kind of shaped out and maybe do a draft special on Monday. Who knows? We'll, we'll figure that out. I'll talk to the production guys. We'll get that together. Uh, together. But that is all we have for today. Like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Town Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to follow the social media handle at JTime Sports for all your breaking news on social media. And that is all we have for today. And this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.